0: Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Kinneyley for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, December 15th, 2017. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albany's Publishers Weekly, senior writer, who joins me today from his office in Manhattan. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So the year is indeed winding down and newsrooms everywhere are going to wrap up their obligatory year in review stories and PW is no different, Andrew. The last issue of the year is about to drop and with quite a thud too. Among the content, you have your own look back at the top 10 library stories of 2017 and that's all part of a preview of the upcoming American Library Association Midwinter meeting set for Denver in early February 2018.
1: Absolutely. Issue number 52 for Publishers Weekly is on the way. It's out on Monday, uh, and it is, as you know, a packed issue with, of course, the annual top 10 library stories of the year compiled by yours truly. And these really are stories that extend, I think, beyond libraries and often weigh in on the issues of the publishing industry as well, uh, on reading in general, education, book cultures. They're really all over the place. And I won't run down the whole list. You can check that out today on the Publishers Weekly website, but I'll share a few relevant highlights, starting with the top of the list, which, given all of our conversations in 2017, you won't be surprised to learn is about politics. In his opening keynote at the 2017 ALA Midwinter Meeting in January, Kamal Bell, the popular podcaster and host of the CNN show, United Shades of America, set the tone for what really has turned out to be a really political year for librarians. Everything that's happening right now in America, he told librarians, you are on the front lines of that. And indeed, they certainly have been. Uh, The challenges for the library community began even before Trump took the oath of office. Our listeners may recall that in the days immediately following the election, ALA officials sent this really generic letter that just offered to work with the Trump administration on issues of common interest. And those kinds of letters are really ordinary occurrences after any election, but 2016 was no ordinary election as as our listeners surely no. Uh, And many ALA members were quick to express their displeasure, and there was angry letters and blog posts and editorials, all of which pointed out to ALA leaders how Trump's rhetoric and his proposed agenda really ran counter to a lot of the library community's most fundamental values. But that episode, it turned out, had a silver lining, because it really engaged librarians. And in 2017, that engagement was key as the library community was able to beat back uh, a Trump administration proposal to permanently eliminate all federal library funding, at least for now. Uh, And as ALA uh, Executive Director Keith Fields told me over the summer, the one thing that Donald Trump has done for the library community is focus them. And the challenge for 2018 is going to be to retain that focus because uh, there's a lot of challenges still to come. If you were exhausted by 2017, 2018 could be even tougher, of course, culminating with midterm elections. And you've got this tax bill, which library officials say could decimate library funding. There's issues around net neutrality, uh, which was just, you know, ousted today by the FCC. There's education policy. And of course, there's the administration's ongoing assaults on the free press and some of the core library values such as diversity equity of access inclusiveness and information literacy so no question 2017 was quite a year for librarians but buckle up 2018 looks like it's going to be a bumpy ride too well in
0: addition to a new president for the nation andrew the u.s library community got new leadership of its own in 2017 tell us about that
1: yeah, so in any given year, like an incoming Donald Trump administration would be enough to give the library community a jolt. But in 2017, the library community also saw big changes in its own leadership. In May, uh, ALA Washington Office Executive Director Emily Shekatov retired after 17 years on the job, during which she really delivered an impressive string of legislative and budget victories and really helped establish the library community as a major force on Capitol Hill. And of course in July, ALA Executive Director Keith Michael Fields stepped down after 15 years leading the organization. Uh, now some five months later, here's ALA still looking for Fields' full-time replacement. Now, ALA officials had told me that the plan was to present finalists for Keith's job at the midwinter meeting in February, but now I'm told that's not happening, and that's primarily because after a nationwide search that actually returned a few good candidates, none of those candidates appeared to cut the mustard, and the uh, process appears to be hung up on whether or not the new executive director of ALA should be required to hold a library degree. So we'll be keeping an eye on that in 2018. But I just want to take a minute to go back here and talk a little bit about Keith Fields' tenure because I know it seems like the world is like coming apart at the seams sometimes, um, but we've faced these challenges before. You think about what Keith saw since he took over ALA back in 2002. The country was still torn apart by 9-11 and the march to war in Iraq, and the ALA's opposition to the USA Patriot Act in 2003 really became a defining moment for the association with Carla Hayden, who's now the Librarian of Congress, then ALA president, clashing publicly with the Attorney General John Ashcroft over the government's warrantless searches of library records and gag orders. Things within the profession were also tense. You know, the pace of digital change was crazy, and as it quickened, librarians found themselves at once evangelizing for digital technology and wrestling with its implications. There was the cost and complexity of licensing digital resources, as opposed to just ordering and buying books, not to mention the hardware costs. Peer-to-peer file-sharing services like Napster emerged, and they elevated copyright issues to a full-fledged moral panic. And libraries later were sued for partnering with Google to digitize out-of-print library books and for facilitating e-reserves on college campuses and at the same time libraries were all trying to remake their physical spaces uh, usually over the complaints of their print users and at the same time battling the perception among their digital users that they were no longer needed that they were obsolete thanks to google and wikipedia and then just as it was becoming clear that librarians were not going to be done in by second life iPhones, iPads, apps, Kindles, ebooks, and of course social media began changing the way we access, consume, and create information and entertainment, and all of these have been tremendous changes. That should be enough to occupy any library director. But then you had a great recession as well, uh, which really hammered library budgets and spurred layoffs and put a serious dent in the ALA membership. Now the good news is, is that over the last few years, ALA membership is on the rise. The economy seems to be straightening out. but Certainly many challenges to come for the next ALA director. That is, if they can sort out whether they want a director with a library degree or not.
0: Well, that was a great review, Andrew. And I have to say, I can imagine there was more than just uh, me on the line saying, Second Life, yes. (laughs) Remember Second Life? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you for that, Andrew. When Beyond the Book returns with PW's Andrew Albanese, he'll tell us his vote for Top Story of the Year. I'm Christopher Kinneal. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us
1: every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing.
0: Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash PWRadio. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. It's Friday, December 15th, and we are looking at the latest news in publishing at the end of 2017. And before the break, Andrew, you reflected on the last 12 months of news from the U.S. library community. And certainly we don't want to leave the impression nothing happened this week. In fact, on Thursday, the Federal Communications Commission voted to repeal so-called net neutrality rules. It's a decision that you're not very fond of and you have company over at the
1: ALA. I have company at the ALA for sure. And apparently I have millions and millions of Americans who are agreeing with me on this as well. Uh, I think it was a bad day for the internet this week, but the battle is not over. Um, immediately after the vote, we learned that there would be numerous lawsuits. And of course, Congress is also thinking about getting involved in trying to restore net neutrality rules, but I wouldn't hold my breath for Congress. So for our listeners, many, probably many of them are already aware what this was, but we'll just backtrack a little what the FCC actually did. Uh, with its vote was try it reclassified high speed broadband as an information service rather than a telecommunication service and that's key because the FCC is forbidden from imposing neutrality obligations on information services and with that reclassification the FCC can now eliminate the bright line rules against blocking throttling and pay to play in favor of a simplistic transparency requirement in other words your ISP is now an internet gatekeeper as long as it tells you that it's an internet gatekeeper. Uh, And I think that's really a horrible development that was going to enable companies like Time Warner and Verizon to maybe charge you more to stream services like, just say, Netflix, for example. EFF legal director, Corinne McSherry, they've been terrific on this fight. They have a lot of informative resources on the Electronic Frontier Foundation EFF website. and She explains that the vote paves the way now for IFCs to work more like cable television. They can block throttle web traffic, create fast lanes that favor traffic from their own ISP subsidiaries and business partners. So, in other words, you know your internet package might allow you to stream content from your ISP's own on-demand service, like Spectrum's on-demand movie service, for example. But then charge you extra if you want to, you know, stream movies through Amazon or Netflix. But I think the telecom industry is going to rue this vote uh, because it really has united people in opposition. People do not like their internet messed with, as we saw in the SOPA and PIPA debate in 2012. So. At this moment it's it's not a good day for the internet, but action that's unpopular on this kind of scale almost always leads to a correction. So I'm hopeful for the future.
0: Well, you know, you do make a, a fair point, Andrew. Don't mess with my internet. That is the slogan of a generation. And as you said, It certainly came to be an important one during the Sopa Pippa days uh, four or five years ago. So we'll see if that happens again in 2018. Now, Andrew, today is our last edition for 2017 of Beyond the Books Friday News Roundup with you. Andrew Albanese publishes weekly. And over the next three weeks, our Monday programs continue. They will look back at the top stories of the year as we covered them. And certainly from my mind, the top story of the year would have to be the revelations of sexual harassment and even violence in the american workplace in publishing and across all media in november your pw colleague rachel deal shared with me her reporting on that topic it's important to stress though that many organizations are working hard to welcome diversity and we have covered that side of the story too throughout the year so what's your top story of 2017 andrew
1: well, I certainly agree with the idea of diversity. That was a very big story for us this year. And I would add that you see a lot of diversity now appearing on the end of the year reading lists and national book award lists. Um, you really see more diverse books getting out there. So I. Be- I believe we're starting to see some change on that front. But being the copyright geek that I am, and I know you can appreciate that at at Copyright Clearance Center, uh, for me, the story that really was interesting this year was the fate of copyright reform, and it's part of my top 10 library stories of the year this year. Um, What I'm interested in with copyright reform this year is what happens now. As you know, the big story for me this year was in April when Congress passed a bill that was. Would have made it uh, the Register of Copyrights a presidential appointee. Now that bill appears to be going nowhere, but. What it really aims to do is stop the current Library of Congress, uh, Carla Hayden, from appointing a replacement for Maria Pallante. This has become a real flashpoint in terms of the copyright debate, and my prediction for 2018 is that you're gonna start seeing some movement on that, that you might actually see Carla Hayden sometime, at least towards the end of 2018, finally make a permanent appointment to the Copyright Office, and here's why. We're about to see change of leadership at the House Judiciary Committee, Bob Goodlatte, who of course was the architect of this great copyright review that ended in 2013, I believe 2014, uh, that had you know 20 hearings around the country, over a hundred uh, witnesses and a lot of testimony. He's retiring at the end of 2018. And the ranking member on the committee, who's a publishing ally named John Conyers, the the legendary congressman from Michigan, is already gone, retiring in the wake of some some disturbing allegations of sexual harassment. So I think you're going to see some action towards the end of 2018 at the Library of Congress, as um, you see start seeing some some different leadership come in the House Judiciary Committee. I'm not going to lay too much money on that bet, <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to.
0: Well, certainly, Andrew, if it happens in 2018 and it concerns publishing or copyright or many of the issues related to those, we'll hear about it from Andrew Albanese. Andrew Albany's PW Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on Beyond the Book today and throughout 2017. and We will speak with you again on Friday, January 5th, 2018.
1: My pleasure as always,
0: and have a happy holiday. Coming up next on Beyond the Book, looking back at 2017, diversity, tolerance, and equal opportunity figured prominently in our programs. In November, though, Publishers Weekly News director Rachel Deal told me that for female executives, editors, and salespeople, the balance of power in the book business often goes against them.
1: The workforce in book publishing, and we focus on trade book publishing, I should say, is about 80% women, but the overwhelming majority of men are um, in sort of executive roles. So, you know, there is this notable disparity in terms of the power structure, I'd say, you know, along gender lines in the industry.
0: The Year in Review 2017, coming up over the next three weeks on Beyond the Book. Happy New Year, everyone. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries RightsDirect Direct and Ixis drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.